The Bible calls God El Elyon, which means the most high God and the exalted one. The Bible calls God El Shaddai, which means the almighty God, the sustainer. The Bible calls God Jehovah, which is his personal name. It's the name by which he reveals himself in human history by his activity, our healer, our shepherd, our peace. The Bible calls God Adonai, which means Lord and Master. All hail the power of Jesus' name for who he is. It has been said that God is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either master of all things or he's master of no thing. This is a a crucial truth for the Christian to understand because there are plenty of times in life when we don't see God. There are plenty of times in life we don't feel God. There are plenty of times in life where we don't necessarily experience God. And so the foundation truth of who God is has to remain even when we don't feel him, see him, or experience him. Our experience of God ought not change who we believe God to be. And so even when I can't see him, even when I don't feel him, even when I have no experience of him, I still must believe that he is the most high God, the exalted God, the almighty God, the sustainer and master and Lord. Christmas is the time that we remember who this God is and that this God came to earth in form of man. And he remains master, regardless of our experience. Now, I realize that it is oftentimes difficult to continue to believe that God is most high, that God is exalted, that God is almighty, that God is sustainer, that God is Lord and master. It gets very hard to believe that when you don't see God doing much for very long. People in the Christmas story had experienced something that, um, that the world really hasn't experienced before or since. They had the unique opportunity to experience what is called the silent years. See, between the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament in the book of Matthew, it's a, it covers a span of about 400 years. And all indications that we have is that God was silent during that time. In other words, there was no prophecy, there was no prophet, there was no teacher, there was nothing in the world that would say, thus saith the Lord anymore. He was silent for 400 years. Has God ever been silent in your life? Have you ever experienced the silence of God? When it appears as though God is no longer active, it gets very difficult to believe that he's still doing something when you can't see him, feel him, or hear him. Everybody in the Christmas story experienced that silence. Matter of fact, it wasn't just those in the Christmas story that experienced that silence. Their mom and daddy experienced that silence. Matter of fact, it wasn't just their mom and daddy, but there was their grandmama and granddaddy that experienced that silence. Matter of fact, it wasn't just their mama and daddy and grandma and granddaddy. It was their great-grandmama and their great-granddaddy. Silence has been a long time. 
and when God is silent for a long time, it's easy to believe, well, he's, maybe he's just not all that. Now, I don't think it takes 400 years of perceived silence of God for us to start questioning him. Maybe it takes a day. See, we oftentimes forget that faith doesn't need to be current because faith is built on the past. God has shown enough in the past for us to never doubt him in the future. Because of what he's already done. There's a verse that uh, I was going through the, the book of Psalms and I came to Psalm 77 and this verse, this, these verses struck me. And I thought, Carl, this is something you need to start uh, going over and reciting and praying and reading every day. The, the Bible says this in Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. See, I don't need you just to do something in the current God. You've already done enough. And all I need to do is have a good memory to believe you are who you are. Sometimes we just need to remember. But 400 years is a long time to not have an experience of God. And it may give us insight as to some of the responses of those in the first Christmas story. See, they're coming out of a time when it seemed like God was absent. And so there, there, there was probably great confusion when suddenly he started doing stuff again. I, I want to look in the Bible, at a passage of scripture from Luke chapter one, if you have a Bible and got one with you on your smart device, if you can go to Luke chapter one, it's on the app as well, so follow along there. The story of a couple of people that we've looked at already, I want to dive back into their story and look at it from maybe a different perspective. It's the story of Zechariah, who was married to Elizabeth, both old, been praying for a baby for a long time, and God miraculously enters into their life and gives them a boy that they will name John that we will understand will become John the Baptist. I want to look at his story, and I also want to look at the story of Mary, this young, virgin, single teenage girl that God interrupts her life with a baby as a virgin. I want to look at their responses of what God told them and what God might be telling us that we don't readily see in the Christmas story. So this is what the Bible says. Both of them, Elizabeth and Zechariah, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were ch uh, childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were old. Uh, what that tells us is they're beyond the chance to get pregnant. Once when Zechariah's division, he was part of the priestly division, once they were on, he was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, 
and you're to call him John. Apparently, Zechariah had been praying for something to happen for a long time. What was he praying for? That they'd have a baby. And this angel shows up and says, hey, don't, don't, don't be scared now. I'm going to give you some really good news. Your, your wife's going to have a child finally. Zechariah asked the angel, what? What? How can I be sure that what you're saying is really the truth? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And he's so polite. And my wife is, let's just say she's well along in years. The angel said to him, and I want you, I want you to get a feel for how this is going down. I got the greatest news of your life, Zechariah. Well, I was going to have a baby. Well, hey, well I, I appreciate that, but how, how can, are you sure? I want you to feel how this is going down. Gabriel says to him, boy, do you know who I am? He says, I am Gabriel. How dare you question me? I stand in the presence of Almighty God, and I have been sent here to speak to you, to tell you something. Now shut up and listen. That's what he's saying. He said, don't you question me. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of Almighty God. And you dare question? And the angel says, and now, you done did it now. You will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Keep your mouth shut. So he told him. Now watch this. Let's go to Mary's story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel, gave the same angel, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant to David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel, same angel, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, being confused, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary's response, How's that going to happen? She said, but I'm a virgin. And we did cover that in synagogue class. I know how this works. And the angel said, it's all right, sweetie, don't worry about it. I know you got questions. It's going to be okay. He says, the Holy Spirit, he's so tender with her. The Holy Spirit's going to come, come on you and the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. I mean, I'm going to give you some perspective, Mary. Even your, your relative, Elizabeth, she's old, but she's going to have a baby too. And she said, it was said of her that she was unable to conceive, but she's already in her six months. So don't worry, Mary, for no word from God will ever fail. 
What was different about Zachariah's questions and Mary's question? Why the difference in response? If, are any of you Bible geeks like me ever wondered about this? Let me give you a hint. Can I give you a hint as to why the difference in response? On one, Zachary's like, well, are you sure how's this going to happen? And he says, keep your mouth shut, boy. You dare not question me. And Mary says almost the exact same thing. And he says, that's okay, sweetie. Let me walk you through this. Here, here, here's, let, let me give an idea of the difference. Why? Both of them questioned. Zachariah's question was accusative. Mary's question was inquisitive. There's a vast difference. Zachariah's question was accusative. Are you sure? How can I believe you? Mary's question was, was inquisitive. Huh, this is, I don't know how this is going to go down, but I'm excited to see how you're going to do it. Have you ever known that there was something more going on, but you really couldn't put your finger on it, but you just felt there's something more behind this? See, this is especially true of God and God's activity. He's, he's, his love is simple and profound, but he is not easily discerned and figured out. His ways are higher above than ours. Isaiah 5.8, my ways are beyond yours. In the story of Zechariah and Mary, I think God... God's speaking to us four different things. And so I want to look at in, in their story, what we just read, and, and, and kind of unpack four things that God's saying. Here's the first thing God's saying, and this is why the responses were so different. Same God, same angel, same question, different response. Here's why. Because I, I think one of the things God is saying is this, I don't, Zechariah, I don't want you to spread your doubt to your wife nor to Mary. See, Elizabeth was old, and she'd been barren her whole life, and all they wanted was a baby, but she had passed that point of childbearing. She had gone through menopause. They had no baby, but this has been their prayer for years since they got married. God, give us a son. God, give us a son. God, give in any child God will do, and now after all these years of prayer, it was finally happening. And guess what? As an expectant mom that probably should not have been able to get pregnant, finally gets pregnant with your first baby. Guess what your biggest fear is? You're going to lose it. It's not going to last. It's not sustainable. Have you ever experienced something good, but somewhere inside you knew this is not going to last and the shoe's going to drop pretty soon? Like adult children of alcoholics, you just know the good time isn't going to last pretty soon. Right? Her greatest fear. See, here's why the response from the angel was so different. Elizabeth had expectant faith that needed protection from fear. And so God had to shut Zechariah's mouth. Do you understand? See, here's what I know. Both fear and faith are more contagious than the virus. Both fear and faith are more contagious than COVID. And so to protect Elizabeth, expectant faith, God had to shut Zechariah's mouth. See, here's... This is our, my problem. Some of you are like me. You're old and you've been around church a long time. You've been around this Bible a long time. 
And some of us old folk tend to speak from our life experience rather than speaking from biblical example. See, some of us old folks that have been around God and the Bible and Jesus a long time, we tend to speak from our own life experience where, where we start interpreting God's word through what I've experienced. Well, you know, don't get too excited about what God has. Don't get too excited about the possibility. Don't get too excited about what might be happening because I've been around this word a long time and this is how things usually go. I mean, you can believe this stuff for salvation, but the rest of the stuff, just, just temper that a little bit because I've been doing this a long time and I kind of know how God does things. And us old folk who've been around God and the Bible a long time, we tend to speak more from our own life experience than from biblical example. And sometimes God needs to keep the old wine and the new wine separated for a time. Because some of us old folks start speaking from our life experience. And those who need to keep faith lose it because of our lack of. See, God knew that Mary was going to be around Elizabeth when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And God knew that Mary was going to be around Elizabeth for three months until she gave birth. And God knew that though Elizabeth had expectant faith that needed protection from fear, Mary had young hopeful faith that needed to be protected from doubt. So, not only did God make Zechariah's mouth stay shut, he ensured that it would stay shut because he knew that though you are around your wife for the duration, there's this little girl coming to stay at your house for three months and she is this young woman with hopeful, expectant faith. And if you start spouting off your fear and doubt to her, see, people of faith need to make sure that we speak words of faith. See, we can't let our fear and doubt infect someone else's faith. When I first got into ministry, I was a youth pastor down at a church in the South Valley. And I took over from a guy who really did love the kids. But his way of showing them love uh, was to demean them and degrade them and put them down. And then follow up with, no, I'm just kidding. When he greeted everybody, Junior high kids, high school kids, adult leaders. Hey, ugly. Man, you look bad today. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, stupid, how you doing? No, I'm just kidding. You're fine. And it was like, then that was the whole culture. So when I stepped into that, I thought, okay, priority one, we got to learn a Bible verse. Because you can't say whatever you want to say and then fall up with just kidding. And so this is the Bible verse that I taught about. And this is the only, that we started and ended everything we did for two years with this Bible verse. For out of the heart speaks what the, or out of the mouth the heart speaks. Out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You'd think I'd remember after all those years. <laughs> and so I, I started telling them, look, you can't, you can't say whatever you want to say and then say just kidding and think it's okay. Because at the, at the root of it, there's something true in your heart about what you're saying. You might not believe it fully, and I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying at what the Bible says, at the heart of it, there's something true in your heart about what you're saying. So when you say, hey, ugly, there's part of you that, when you say those mean things to each other, oh, I'm just kidding. They know I'm kidding. They know I love them. Well, what the Bible says. 
See, this is true. This verse is true, not just for the just kidding words we say to each other. Have you ever been around someone who the first thing out of their mouth is what's not right, what's not good enough, or what's wrong? It could be that they're just highly strategic. Or it could be they've got a critical heart. Do you understand? See, the same is true with the words we speak about doubt and fear. No, I believe God can do anything. I mean, the doubt is going to do that, but I believe. Okay, wait, what? A verse that I learned when I was young that I prayed over my life for years and then I forgot. And I think I know why I forgot. Because I got my mind and my eyes and my attention off of God. Uh, and, I, and I came across it again and I thought, man, Carl, you got to start implementing this in your own life and praying this over yourself. It's from Psalm chapter 141, verse 3. It says, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Or put it, another translation, put a sentry at my mouth. Put a sentry at my lips. A guard, a gatekeeper. It's a good verse. Because our mouth speaks what our heart is full of. Do you understand? Zachariah's heart was full of doubt and fear. And God says, that's so contagious, Zechariah. I don't want you to spread that to other people. I'm going to shut your mouth. See, what we have to understand is this, is that what builds faith in your heart is speaking words of faith with your mouth. Now, I'm not talking about some crazy name and claim and stuff. I'm not talking about, talking about word of faith stuff. But I'm talking about the fact that if we want to build it in our heart, we have to speak it with our mouth. What was really going on in the Christmas story? Well, behind the scenes, God was asking, am I really Lord of all? If so, you need to praise me as such. Watch what you say. The, the second thing I see that, that God is, is, is telling us through his response and the difference of response between Zechariah and Mary is this. God says this to Zechariah, I will take away from you that thing that you used to dishonor me. Now think about it. What was the mechanism by which Zechariah exhibited doubt about God? His voice. What did God take away from him from a time? God says, I'm not, don't push me here. I will take away from you what you use to dishonor. Why am I going to allow you access to that thing by which you dishonor me? Was it honoring or dishonoring to God to doubt him and his word? Dishonoring. So God removed from Zechariah for a time that thing that he used to dishonor and discredit him. I wonder. I just wonder if I don't choose to honor God with what he's given me. And if I use those things in a way that dishonors him, if he won't remove those things from me for a time. You understand? 
See, Zechariah had been at church praising God and at church praying to God and at church worshiping God and at church honoring God and at church trusting God. And in an instant, all that turned to doubt. See, there's this verse in James chapter three that's pretty profound. It says, can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? No, of course it can't. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No, of course it can't. Neither then can salt spring produce fresh water. Now this is talking in the context, you can't praise God and curse man. But it's greater than that. This is also about worshiping God with your mouth and doubting him at the same time. If God is Lord, he is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. And if he is Lord of all, and we really believe that, why do we speak words of doubt about him? You can't do both. Do you understand? Without those heating things running, it gets real quiet in here, doesn't it? See, what's really going on behind the Christmas story? God's asking us, am I really master of all? Then praise me as such and quit being double-tongued. I think the third thing that God is telling us through his response to Zechariah is this. God says, don't you doubt my answers to your prayers. Like, if you're going to doubt my answers, don't bother praying. That's what he's saying. Like, you spend all this energy asking me and and begging me and, and, you know, praying. but Don't doubt me then. I mean, just look at what the Bible says. Verse 13 of that passage. But the angel said to him, Zechariah, don't be afraid, Zechariah. You're what? Your prayer has been what? I heard you. God heard you. Your wife Elizabeth will what? I got you. Why do you doubt me now? Your prayer has been heard. Your wife is now praying. This should have been the greatest news that this boy Zachariah had ever heard. This should be the greatest news. Like, yes. Finally, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and finally God said, I knew he would, right? They had gone their entire marriage without a child. They were both old. They couldn't do that anymore. This was, there was no way this was going to happen. And the angel says something God says, God's heard you and you get a bit. Evidently, Zechariah was still praying and evidently, Zechariah was still expecting and evidently, Zechariah doubted it the moment God said it would happen. Doesn't make sense. Do you know what happens when we interject unbelief in our relationship with God? There's a Bible verse that talks about it. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was not able to do many miracles there because of their what? You want to make God go silent in your life? Doubt him. 
What we choose to believe is very important. And if we're going to continue praying about a thing, we must continue believing that the answer's coming. What's really going on behind the Christmas story? God continues to ask us, do you really believe I'm still powerful? Then praise me as such. Quit doubting and believe. The fourth thing that God is telling us through his interaction with Zechariah and even through Mary is this. God says, you've been around me long enough to know who I am. And you've been around me long enough to know what I can do. And you've got all the evidence you need to never doubt me. That's what he says. Zechariah had been around the people of God long enough. Zechariah had been around the Holy Scriptures long enough, the prophecies, the words of the prophets, the wisdom. Zechariah had been around the story long enough that God had already given him enough to believe there was no reason for him to doubt God. Mary was young. Mary hadn't been around long enough. Mary hadn't been had gone around the block like Zechariah. But even Mary in her young, little, immature faith knew, God, I'm excited to see what you're going to do. Such a stark contrast. And I think some of us today, God would say, you, some of you, not all of you, some of you, though, at that place, flip side, you've been around me long enough. You know who I am. You know what I can do. Quit doubting me. Now, some of you would say, some of you are young. Here's what I love about young faith. Here's what I, for, for those of you that are checking God out and checking out the Bible and you're just kind of getting to know Jesus, here's what I love about you. Like, I've been there. I know what it's like. You read this stuff and you actually believe it. Like you're like, whoa, did you see that in the Bible? Like God, he was, whoa, this is crazy. I mean, if you really geek out about it, you get your little highlighter out and little pins. Like, oh, this is good right here. This is good. I like this. I'm going to stop that up with a biscuit. You know, it just, <laughs> sorry, that's coming to America, Eddie Murphy, way back in the day. Some of you are unregenerated. You know that movie. See, I love young faith because, like, I believe this. This is amazing, but it's old guys. I think oftentimes God wants to slap up upside the head. So I've done enough. You've been around me long enough. Why are you cashing it in now? I think if Gabriel were to show up, he'd say, boy, don't you question me. I stand at the right hand of the Father, and I'm here to proclaim to him what he's already said. Now keep your mouth shut. Understand? I wonder if God oftentimes thinks, how much more do I have to do? Huh. How much more do I have to do for you people? Matthew 17, 17, Jesus says in response to some stiff-necked people, some hard-of-hearing and bullheaded people, he says, you perverse generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Mark 9, 19, he says, you rebellious, unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Acts 5, 7, 51, he says, you stiff-necked and obstinate people, you always, <sighs> how much more do I have to do? I've done something. See, here's what I know. If God didn't do anything else for the next 400, 
He's already done enough to continue to believe. That's what's going on behind the Christmas story. And some of us have been around for a long time. And we've got no reason to doubt him. We've seen him move and we've experienced his, his provision. We've seen him intervene and we've experienced his healing. We have seen him act and we've, we've experienced answer to prayer. We've been around him a long time and we've got a whole history book that reminds us who he is. How much more does he need to do for us to continue to believe? See, something more is going on behind the Christmas story. God's asking us right now, do you really believe that I have all the power you need for your need? Something more is going on behind the Christmas story. And he's asking us, do you really believe that I still answer your prayer? Something more is going on behind the Christmas story. He's asking us, do you still believe that I really am in your midst? Oh, yeah, there's something more going on in the Christmas story. And God is asking us, do you still believe that I will still show up in your life? There's something more going on in the Christmas story. And in the Christmas story, God is asking us, do you still believe that I am still the God who works all things together for your good, for those who love me and are called according to my prayer? Do you still believe? because I am the God who is the exalted one. I'm an, I am the God who is the sustainer. I am the God who is Jehovah and I am the God your master. Do you still believe? Because if you still believe you'll start praising me as if you do believe that there is something more going on in the Christmas story. It's a good story. And so I would invite you to believe with me that there's something more going on in the Christmas story. And to praise him as if you believe that there's something more going on in the Christmas story. To say, Father, you've brought me through so much already. Father, for everything you have already done and for whatever you want to do. I started praising you back then and I'm not going to stop now. You started working in my life back then and you're not going to stop now. I started trusting you back then and I'm going to trust you now. I started praising you back then and I'm not going to stop it now. God, you are good and you are the exalted one and there's something more going on in the Christmas story. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your move and for your act. Thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for what you're going to do. We started trusting you back then. We started praising you back then. We started praying to you back then. And we're not going to stop now. Let's see. Let's dance.